beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. I mentioned in the newsletter this week that I wanted to talk about the Zen cone, chop wood, carry water. A cone, K-O-A-N, in Zen philosophy is a kind of a, a riddle or an enigma. It's a challenging concept like contemplate one hand clapping. Well, what the hell does that mean? Well, what do you think it means? Don't be too quick <laughs> to answer. Or the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. Huh? What? What do you mean by that, Michael? Well, these are ancient cones that Zen masters have thought up or allowed to occur to them to uh, stimulate the imagination of their students. And one of the more famous Zen cones is chop wood, carry water. And in its fullness, it, it appears in many different ways in the, in the teachings. Remember, this material is 2,500 years old. It's 500 years before Christ. Chop wood, carry water in its fullness is before enlightenment. You have to chop wood and carry water. You have to busy yourself with these affairs of the world. After enlightenment, guru, tell me, what what do I do after enlightenment? And the guru says, chop wood, carry water. This brings up Christ uh, saying pretty much the same thing um, about the need to be in the world, but not of it. Or we could even stretch it to another uh, um, of Christ's sayings about storing your riches in heaven and not on earth. Or render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God that which is from your source. These are all references to the paradox of living in the middle between spirit and matter. (laughs) Being spiritual beings in animal bodies, don't you see? This is a major part of the wisdom of the soul, because it's the soul, so to speak, it's really just a word. It's a way of comprehending the intersection of two things. Imagine two circles that come together until they overlap. 
and that area where they overlap, that intersection, is both circles. So this circle is yin and this circle is yang, so to speak. One is light, one is dark, one is spiritual, one is material. One is heaven, one is earth, however you want to look at it. But when they overlap, there's this oval-shaped, actually it has a name, it's called the vesica pisces. It's the fish. It's that fish shape. You see it in the CBS logo. <laughs> if you ever look carefully at the logo that CBS TV has used forever in a day, you'll see these intersecting circles forming the vesica pisces. It's why Christians use the fish to represent their religion. You'll often see this fish on the uh, bumper of their car. They don't know what that's about. They figure it must have something to do with most of Christ's apostles being fishermen and so many of Christ's allegories have to do with fish, you know, paying the temple tax with the coin in the fish's mouth and multiplying the fishes and the loaves and walking on water and you know fish fish seem to have a lot to do with it uh supporting life but no it, that's not it or exoterically we could say it is but esoterically it's the intersection of heaven and earth of spirit and matter and that's consciousness that's the love aspect that's what the christos between the father and the mother, between spirit and matter represents, that we are both of these things. We are not human beings with souls. We're not physically solid beings with a spirit, animated and illumined by energy, although that's a way of looking at it this meat sack that is somehow illumined and animated by spirit. But if we put the pony in front of the cart, if we get the order right, we're spirit that's incarnated into an animal body. And so we're both. Just as Christ is often referred to in the Christian religion as the Son of God and the Son of Man. You'll find him referred to as the Son of Man as often in uh, the King James Version of the Bible as he's referred to as the Son of God. And then, of course, Christ says repeatedly, um, you're all children of God. These things I do, you can do, and more. some reason, uh, a lot of Christians skip over that part. They they <laughs> they don't want the responsibility. They want someone else to save them. The idea that there's a Christos or a Christ in you is a little challenging for people who consider Christ to be somewhere else waiting for you in some other place or destination. You are that spirit. You don't have to search for it. That's that's who and what you are. It's awareness. It's not what you're aware of. It's the fact that you're aware. And, and, and even if there was nothing to be aware of, you remain.
as awareness. You know, you know those experiences where you draw a blank, you maybe you're trying to remember somebody's name, you know, and 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 you say to what was his name? You know that guy that uh we met back in the day. What was that guy's name? And it's so close, it's that tip of the tongue phenomena, you know, and you just draw a blank. You're not thinking of anything, nothing is coming. Well, you don't go unconscious. You don't fall asleep or pass out, do you? You remain aware and alert, even though the mind is blank. Therefore, what more evidence do you need that you are not the thinker? You are not your thoughts. You don't have to believe that garbage that bubbles up from the unconscious, that negative BS that's always telling you that you're no good and you can't have it and you don't deserve it and if you ever got it, you'd screw it up anyway. And you know exactly the voice I'm talking about because we've all got one. That's the ego nature. Don't be confused. The ego is not the part that thinks you're cool. The ego is the part that thinks you're miserable and uh, inadequate and bad and wrong and stupid and ugly and nobody will ever love you because you have no idea why anybody wants to spend five minutes with you. Those lies, that petitioning, that bullying is your ego nature. And I'm not going to dwell on ego today. It's just, it comes out of fight or flight. It's a survival mechanism. It's triggered by the amygdala. It's constantly, it figures if it degrades you and demeans you and bullies you, it won't have to share its power. It'll always be in charge. Ego is just that part that identifies with you as a separated being, all alone, alienated and adrift in a world where everything is separated and lonely and, and abandoned by God. You know the feeling. That's the ego lying to you. You are not those thoughts. You are the awareness that can be expanded with study and meditation and mindfulness to the point you realize, I don't have to hold on to that thought. I can drop it. I can let it go the way I just let go of all this muscular tension and got to such a warm, cuddly, nice, wonderful place of deep relaxation. So we have to live in the world. We have to continually chop wood, carry water, as the ancients would say. Now, modern humans, obviously, don't take that literally. Most of us probably haven't chopped wood in our lives. Um, you buy it in the store in a bundle if you want a wood fire. And the idea of carrying water, probably have to go back four or five generations to find somebody. They had to actually carry water from the well. Huh. <laughs> I'm remembering uh, when I was a little boy, four, five, six years old, my father's, uh, no, my mother's brother, my uncle, my mother's brother, had a cabin on a little lake in a remote wooded area of Michigan. 
beautiful place. It was so cool. And uh, he had a pump. This, I'll always remember this red pump, you know, the old big handle. and he, But it came out of the sink, which I always thought was so clever. There was no well and, and bucket outside or no pump outside. He dug the well and then built the house around it so that the pump came up in the sink. But he still had to pump it four or five times to get the water to come out. And boy, did it taste good. That was the best taste in water. So uh, we didn't even have to carry it then. And uh, so what it means is just the stuff of the world. Maybe you're not growing your food, but you still find it a chore to go to the store and have to buy it. And uh, even if you have a shopper, during the pandemic, we were using Instacart. Even that's a hassle. And you start uh, griping about the fact you've got to spend an hour on the computer to order the groceries that are delivered by the person to the front door. And even that becomes drudgery, right? My God, you're not out in the field digging dirt and cultivating soil and pulling weeds and adding soil amendments and all that goes with gardening. So it's always drudgery, no matter how difficult or easy it may be. We don't want to do it. And that's all nonsense that the mind offers up to you. If you want to agree with it, I hate to wash dishes I hate to do my laundry, even though I've got a machine here that does it for me. I hate to have to drive that far. Are you kidding? Try walking that distance. It doesn't matter how many conventions, conveniences um, modern technology offers us. We'll always find it to be drudgery. But if you just sat in a chair, um, you'd be bored. So there again, we're in the middle. We want something to do, but much of what we end up doing, we wish we didn't have to do. It's just the challenge. Chop wood, carry water means the challenge of living in the world, a world that is constantly changing that is serving up to us the never-ending flow of problems. They never end. No one ever finished their to-do list, did they? You think you're the only one that never gets to enjoy the feeling of everything on your to-do list being crossed off? That's never happened. There is no there there. The principle of impermanence, the law of impermanence, says it's a fool's errand to think there is a there there, that you'll ever get there. The only piece is letting it all go, putting it all down. And then when you have to do a chore that you really don't want to do, you do it mindfully. 
You make a game out of it. I think the first time this occurred to me was the summer between my graduation from high school and my freshman year at university. And I gave up my grocery store job that paid $1.85 an hour for a factory job in an iron foundry for $2.14 an hour. One of the stupidest things I ever did. And I had to pay union dues to the United Auto Workers on top of that. Two, but I was making two fourteen an hour instead of one eighty five. The first thing they did was hand me a sledgehammer. I said, what, 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 what am I supposed to do with this? And they walked me over to this, uh, well, it's not an assembly line. It's a, uh, it was an oscillating conveyor belt. It was like a metal chute that went down slightly, slightly downhill. And it shook like this. And these, uh, big uh, iron objects that we were making in the foundry, like anywhere from brake shoes to much bigger things like a rear end housing. These were made out of, out of uh, uh, iron, you know, lead back in the day. They, they weren't aluminum or uh, the refined metals that cars are made out of now. And when you pour molten iron into a a sand casting there's this overpour area as air gets trapped when you pour the lead in the molten lead and so there's these areas where uh, excess lead is allowed to go and the air it pushes pushes the air in there well those need to be knocked off and that was my job that my first day. I had to swing that 16-pound sledgehammer all day long, knocking off this overpour slag on these <laughs> big 20-pound rear-end housings that were bouncing down this. It was hard enough without it having, <laughs> without it constantly moving. It was just unbelievably challenging. Uh, boy, I got real strong that summer, but what a miserable existence in a foundry where it was so loud. There was so much boilermaker effect that I had to start riding my motorcycle to work instead of the car because I couldn't hear the car start. And for most of that summer, my hands were so tired, I couldn't play my guitar because they were just physically so exhausted. Um, I, I'm not petitioning you for sympathy here. Uh, it was a grand experience. It got me through college. I just remembered <laughs> this is my destiny if I don't get an education. So it was a very motivating thing. And uh, yet it was just miserable. It was just hell. A ladle broke. When, and I, when I say ladle, I'm talking about probably eight feet wide and ten feet high. Big, giant bucket full of molten lead. And it poured all over a guy. He just, like, burned up one night on the night shift. And we didn't think any... I mean, it was sad. It was unfortunate. But 
There was no OSHA. There was no uh, occupational safety laws. You just died, and that was the end of it. Nobody sued the corporation or anything for the death. You just, it was like slavery. Only they paid you $2.14 an hour. So the point of me telling you all of this is that I learned to make a game out of it. I learned to pretend that I was having fun. I had to pretend that this was fun. I did something slaves did, which is sing, you know, or the railroad workers, you know, that John Henry song where the, <clears throat> the <clears throat> excuse me, the beat of the song is accented by the sledgehammer hitting the, the spikes into the railroad. John Henry was a steel driving man. <laughs> right. All you could do is make a game out of it and pretend. You can do that when you do the dishes or sweep the floor or do your laundry or go to the grocery store or the drudgery of living in this world that comparatively may not be nearly that bad, but you find it to be drudgery. So why? It's because you're listening to the voice in your head that is bullying you, the ego voice, and you believe that's you, and it's not. And so we have to continually remind ourselves, as we have been from day one in this class, all suffering exists in the mind. It's not in the world being done to you. It's in your mind and the way you look at it. And are you being mindfully attentive in such a way that everything can be fun? Everything can be a game if you're mindful, in the go especially if you're not in a hurry. And you just do it mindfully with awareness and be interested in what you're doing and being curious about what you're doing. And, you know, sing a happy tune, whistle a happy song. This may sound very naive, but it works. Life really is what you make it. Row your boat gently down the stream. You're not a salmon. We don't have to struggle. We're not, who was it, Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the mountain? Let the boulder roll back down the mountain. It already rolled down the mountain once. You don't, why would you push it back to the top? We make our lives into hell. Every bit of suffering is uh, a result of our lack of awareness, our lack of consciousness, our lack of understanding, our lack of self-compassion. Have you ever considered that there is such a thing as self compassion, just as there is self-love, you can minimize the suffering. You know, how, do, how do women give birth? What a painful, by all accounts, I wouldn't know, but by all accounts, an exceedingly, exceedingly painful thing. And yet, 
you know, the, the midwives will all tell you, the nurses and the doctors, relax. A good dentist will tell you the same thing, man. If you keep gripping the arms of that chair, girding your loins, arching your back, you're only going to generate more pain because the brain's trying to signal you with the brain. It's trying to send you a message. If you breathe and relax, let go and say, I'm getting the message, I feel the pain, you die to the pain, a Zen master would say, sit with it. It diminishes. Now, it's still an uncomfortable procedure to have your teeth drilled upon without Novocaine. But the more aware you are of it, the less uncomfortable it becomes. And so women are taught to breathe and relax. How do you push and relax at the same time? <laughs> Ask a woman who's had a baby. I, I can't speak to that. But that's the challenge, the breathing, the relaxing, reminding yourself that this is a natural thing. It's painful. And life, I mean, even the most enlightened being, the, the master, the guru, they suffer too. But they learn to suffer in a different way by accepting it, by embracing it, by moving directly into the middle of it and letting go and breathing. It's much more easier to tolerate. That's not right. It's much more easy to tolerate. It's easier to tolerate. So life on earth is suffering. You will continue to chop wood, carry water. I'm going to go to the questions in just a minute here. Before enlightenment, after enlightenment, you still have to chop wood, carry water. You, they're still living in the world, even if you've learned not to be of the world. Even if you're beginning to learn what it means to store your riches in heaven. To learn to create that mental and emotional clarity to see reality as it truly is, rather than the horror that we make of our lives. Struggling, micromanaging, fighting, always solving problems that would be solved on their own if you didn't micromanage. You know, we worry and we worry and we worry and we struggle and we wonder and we lay awake at night and then the problem somehow resolves itself and you take credit well, what did you really do to solve the problem? Well, I really worried a lot. Oh, good. I'm sure that helped. No, that problem would have resolved itself anyway, even if you hadn't worried. So don't take credit for solving the problem because you were really upset by it. And then you learn to just let, the, yeah, you got a bill today. Oh my God, how am I going to pay this bill? Where am I going to get the money to pay this bill? Look what happened. Look with the price of gas, Michael, the price of food. How, what am I going to do? Hey, I don't know what you're going to do other than breathe and relax and trust the way you trust your body to breathe itself, the way you trust your heart to pump the blood through your body, the way you trust the immune system to repress and, and hold in balance 
every microorganism, every bacteria, every virus, every disease. I heard a a, a teacher talking about face mites <laughs> the other day. Uh, he said, you know, if you zoom into your face, you'll see these little uh, creatures crawling around on your face. Well, the, you've zoomed in too close. You don't want to zoom in. You fixate on the on the self, you're going to see horrible things. Don't zoom in that far. Stand back. See the bigger picture. Work harmoniously with others to be in the world, to be in the world but not of it. you got to chop wood and carry water even if you're not, whether you're enlightened or not. So do it mindfully with awareness, with loving kindness, metta, loving kindness and compassion uh, in your heart. And then instead of getting these rushes of fear and anxiety throughout the day, you find yourself increasingly getting, God, it's just so amazing, these little rushes of pleasure. And you'll wonder, well, wow, where did that come from? Just like maybe now you're wondering, well, where does this fear come from? Why am I so nervous? Why am I anxious? Why is my mind racing? Why can't I just get comfortable and settled in? Where's all this coming from? Well, imagine that being replaced in time by similar uh, and yet opposite feelings of warmth, of peace, of love, of, of joy. And you go, why am I feeling this joy? What did I do? What, what did I forget? What wonderful thing is about to happen that I've forgotten about? Instead of waiting for the other shooter to drop, you know, what horrible thing is about to happen <laughs> that I've forgotten about? We're familiar with that. I promise you, with study, with meditation, with mindfulness, those those little fits of non-specific anxiety will be replaced by non-specific joy and happiness for no reason. It's very cool. <laughs>